RC Plane Lab, a podcast for anyone interested in RC airplanes. We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. So today, (laughs) we're going to talk about lots of stuff. I would add a quick update about... (laughs) Go on. You're doing great. All right. I I brain farted, but that's all right. You go. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we mentioned uh, in the last episode that we, we picked up a couple of planes out of a dumpster, and I don't think we mentioned what they were. Uh, so I'll go ahead and let everyone know, uh, you know, instead of keeping them in the in the dark like it's some great secret, it, they were linear shrikes, uh, the 10 and the 40 size, one of each. Um, so if you're out there on the interwebs, you can look them up and see what they look like. They're kind of a cool racer uh, wing plane with, uh, with a, you know, just a couple of vertical tails and no horizontal stab. Um, very, very fast airplanes. These airplanes had engines on them, which was kind of cool. They're both going to need some work, I think, probably yeah. some bearings, but, uh, look like it. Yeah. I mean, they come out of a dumpster, so what do you knows? expect? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, who the, knows how long they were in the dumpster? Well, you never, you never really know. Could have been uh, rained on. Could have been rained on. It's been a while since we've had rain here, but it could have been rained on. Who maybe a light mist. Dumps? Maybe, 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 certainly maybe do. do. <laughs> Yeah, so the the original plan was going to be uh, I was going to take one of those and Tom was going to take the other. Um, I think he's changed his mind and wants to keep no, both no, of no. them. Uh, I'm, we're we, gonna, you can if you want. No, no, we're going to we're going to fly them together. I think that'd be fun. You know, you know, kind of like the telemaster. You know, we kind of resurrected that one. If we can resurrect these things, I think that'll be yeah a fun project. So. Yeah, I like dumpster planes. Yeah, and I like working on <laughs> engines, and they're going to need work. So both they, of them, yeah. wonderful. So they uh, that satisfies the itch for me to. To tinker with something, so yeah, awesome. The other thing I wanted to bring up you know, last week, we talked about the uh, the the cover right covering iron that I yes. that I bought off of that guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I did end up checking the differences in in how accurate it ends up being versus the Hangar Nine one I have. Okay. So when I when I put the little uh, the thermometer mm-hmm. on on the twenty first century one, it would stay just pegged right at 300. I mean, it might move like a degree either way, but right. when you well, said- Well, it'll take some time for that spring, that steel spring to, you know, register a change right. in temperature, but yeah. But it was not, I mean, there there was no, no movement in it. Like I said, barely, but not anything big. Okay. So I, <laughs> I did the same thing on the Hangar 9. There was, well, first off, guess how much of a, a swing do you think in temperature? Oh gosh! If I had to guess, let's say if you had it set to two hundred, let's say, um, I would estimate that there'd probably be a maybe a ten to fifteen degree swing. Way off. First off, you can't set that to an actual degree. Like I said, it's one well, through right, five. Right, right. So I just. <clears throat> but I if just, you were trying to maintain two hundred degrees, I would say it would be plus or minus fifteen either way. So that got a little bit closer. Okay. I actually had a difference of forty degrees. From with that thermometer, from when uh, when the the lowest temperature 40 was degrees? forty degrees, to when the the highest temperature was. So, and you would hear it. You know, you'd hear the the thermostat right. click on. Yep. And obviously, once it it clicked off, it still it still rose Rising, five yeah. or six degrees on that oh, scale. 
And yeah, sure enough, 40 degree difference. If you're working with Hangar 9 Ultra Coat, that's a huge, 40 degrees is a huge difference because, you know, there's only like a, I think it's a 25 to 30 degree difference between, you know, adhesive activation and shrink activation. Right. You know what I mean? Or yeah. onset. So, yeah, that makes, that, that could make for a difficult covering job. And the other thing I like a lot better about it, too, you know, I always watched when you were covering with yours how you could easily get in, like, these little nooks and crannies and stuff with it. Oh, I never because of the shape of the shoe. Because of the shape of it, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I never thought that much about it until using this one as opposed to the one that I had before. Mm -hmm. Huge difference just in the shape of it. Right. And it works so much better. Yeah. So yep. I'm very happy with and that And the purchase. Teflon coating is nice, too. Yeah. Well, it I think the other stick. one has Teflon also. Oh, that you're the Hangar 9, nine does. does. Okay. I usually use the, the socks on them, though. Yeah, I do, too. But, I do, too. Yeah. Socks are a lot easier to... Um, clean and they don't scratch the surface. And you can just throw them away when you're done. That too. I mean, that's what I did. Yep. And I don't even know, I'm sure you can still buy those, but uh, I ended up buying a whole bunch of them from the hobby shop when they were uh, on yeah. sale. And I think they were like 99 cents a sock. Yeah, I think it used to be you could buy them in bulk. Like I think it was a bag of maybe 10 or 20. Oh, really? Um, but I, I think those days are, are long gone, you know, because... Uh, not a lot of us builders left out there these days. Well, when I bought, <clears throat> I mean, they were individual when I bought them. Right. So, well, yeah, if they were 99 cents, that's, that's, uh, you know, use one of those on a covering job. You've, you know, saved potentially an entire covering job for 99 cents. Yeah. Because a shoe, True. like if you have sanding dust on there or whatever, it will scratch that, uh, yeah. the monocoat and the ultra coat. Yeah. I've seen that happen before. So, speaking of, of covering materials, I have not had a chance to use the cheapo coat. Um, but I plan on doing that before next weekend, and I will have a full report on how good or bad that stuff may be. Yeah, I I want to know because I I think I'm probably gonna order some. Yeah, it would certainly it would certainly assist the cost factor of recovering <laughs> this ginormous yak of yours. Yeah, I would like to get that done. I I don't know if it'll happen or not, but I think I'd like to fly that this year. Okay. I mean that's. I know okay. that's a that's a lot to ask, but we'll see. I well, mean, it yeah. all all I depends mean, how we have some other projects we need to finish up, or I have some other projects I need to finish up before I can devote any kind of time to helping you with the act. But I mean, you understand that, so <clears throat> no, I don't. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> I come first, <laughs> right? Uh, Ron's projects. You heard it, folks. Ron's projects come first. You never have time for my projects. You're always working on somebody else's projects. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not going to say you're wrong. Yeah. Uh-huh. Every time you go out to the field, somebody hands you something. Fix this. Do this. Well, that's not exactly true. Like, not every time. Okay. Like, when I go out there and it's just you and I. True. I usually... Okay. You're right. If there's anybody else out there, though. <laughs> well, that's... that's bec I mean, and I don't, I don't dislike it. I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. Yeah. I do enjoy helping, you know, fellow modelers. Yeah. It does make me, you know, it does give me some satisfaction to help somebody with their engine or whatever. Speaking of helping somebody, last time we were out there, I saw you, uh, uh, you set one of our friends up and finished the setup on his, uh, what, what scale is that? 30%? Um, you're talking about the, the S-Bock? The S-Bock, yeah. Uh, that is a 37%. 30, really? Yeah. It's an odd percentage. It's 105 or 107 inches, the wing. Oh, yeah. okay. It's an odd percentage. Yeah, that, I, I guess I didn't realize those planes were so yeah. like were if you so look at small then. Yeah, if you look at pilot. Oh, yeah, the the real planes are not 
big at all. I mean, I knew like the well, Yak and stuff originally when full size plane. Right. I, I the model or the one they're modeled after. Right. right. I knew like the Yak because it's technically a forty-two percent if you do the actual math. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I, I I didn't realize that that one was that high percentage wise. Yeah, those because really. The Yak is 126 inch on the wingspan. Right. And I, you know, between that, so that one has 170 cc, uh, the DA 170 on it. Whereas his, I think, what did you say? It was a 111? 111. 111 mm-hmm. DLE. DLE. Yep. So I, okay. I just, yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be that yeah, high pilot, percentage wise. So it's a pilot S Bach is what we're talking about. Um, they make that S Bach, or they did make that S Bach in. I want to say there was five different sizes you could buy. And this one, the one that he has, the 37%, I think is, it's either 37 or 34. I, it's an odd, it's a weird number. Yeah. Um, was only their second biggest one. Their biggest one, I believe, was 42%. I thought they had a 50%. Because I thought the original one well, he was wanting was a 50%. It's been a while since I've looked on the... Yeah. So they may, but uh, but yeah, I did. I, f- I helped him get his setup, got it bound up to his uh, transmitter. What are you laughing at? Uh, nothing, just <laughs> Santa. With is oh. what I was thinking of. But anyway, no, 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 no. And that's why I remember it was because I think that big one he was looking at for for the plane and for the uh, the transmitter and stuff he wanted was about it was about ten grand from what he was what he was asking for. Um, but no, and I, I pretty much, I think that was 50% okay. was the, the biggest on that. I could right. be wrong, though. But yeah. um, but but at any rate, yeah. A gorgeous airplane, though. I, I mean, yeah. it really is. And he, huge he did, fan. He did a good job. He'd never flown it by himself before that right. day. Um, so it was good to see. I, I understand the nerves. Oh, sure. I really do. Um, yeah. But he did a good job, uh, you know, flying it all by himself. Sure, and, he did it twice even. Yeah. He had two successful flights, uh, his first time flying it solo both times. Yeah, I wasn't there for or that one. first time and the second time. time. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he did uh, did very well. So, yeah, he's got it all. It's all bound up to his transmitter now. Um, a little backstory. I, I put this plane together for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been about six years ago now. Um, God, time it. flies. Yeah. Uh, he lives in a, a spot that's hard to get it in and out of, so yeah. it's not easy for him to get it to the field. Um, so, you know, that plays a role in how often it gets flied or flown, excuse me. <laughs> plays well, a role in how often it gets flown also, but... He also um, has a ton of airplanes, so... He does. He could fly a different one every weekend, and, and it'd take him a couple of years to get through them all. <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> he does have a lot of airplanes. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was able to help him out this weekend and get that set up for him, and now it's all on him, you know? Yep. It's all his now. His he doesn't airplane, need me for anything. You're now. finished with it. You've, <laughs> you've uh, washed your hands of it and you're done. Yeah. I mean, so. uh, hopefully I'll get to fly it again because it does fly. I mean, it flies very nice. Yeah. The big ones always fly. That's true. So easy. Yeah. And I we mean, say that all the time, but it, it's absolutely true. The bigger they are, the better they fly. But the harder they fall. And that's well, the, main, that's the part that makes it difficult. Expensive. Yeah. That's true. So, so yeah. but I understand that's, uh, yeah, like I said, that's the scary part about the yak and why I don't fly it often. And, yeah. but after seeing him fly that one and it, you know, it, it kind of gets you, gets you wanting to get back into right. it when you have your own big one, Sure, yeah. you know, they are fun to fly. Yeah. So. And, and the one, my big one is, is nowhere near as big as, as his or yours, but, um, yeah, it kind of stirred, if you will, the, the urge, if you will, to, to go fly my big one. So now I need to figure out how to. How to transport it in my car? <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest part. But yeah. you'll figure I miss it out. Miss the suburban. I, <laughs> I really still do. know why you sold it. Well, anyway, go buy another one. 
I could. I could, I guess. <laughs> you should. Just have an airplane vehicle. Yep. That'd be perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. one of the other things I wanted to bring up. Um, so, last time you were out, we were working on stuff, and you kept asking me for screws, and I had to uh, pretty much say I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fasteners. Yeah. What makes a good overall not necessarily kit, but what makes a good overall collection? Sure. Um, what should I be getting to have on hand? So when I need to use something, I will have right. everything I need here. Right. Well, I mean, probably depends on, on how often you're going to be building, you know, airplanes or, or rebuilding or, you know, working on airplanes. Let's or say setting fairly them up, let's often. Say. Well, Let's just, I'll go over what I have in, in my shop, what I, what I keep or I try to keep on hand. Uh, so we'll start with hardware. Well, we'll let's go ahead and define it. You know, it's, it's nuts, bolts, screws, um, you know, that sort of fastener. And then for my definition of hardware, when it comes to RC planes, you know, there's the other stuff that's, you know, that's required also like uh, control horns and clevises and threaded rod and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'll start with, I'll start with the nuts and bolts. Um, I like to keep a, a quantity. Um, that quantity is different for everybody. I don't like to be out of something, especially now that we don't have a hobby shop locally. So running out of hardware is, is can be a, a really frustrating experience, especially if it's an odd size that you can't just go to Lowe's or Menards or in yeah. our case, Big R, Tractor Supply Company, all these types of places. Yeah, you um, have saved me a couple times when I've needed something special. You've had it, I haven't. Right. Um, and yeah, because I've looked at like Menards and stuff before and you can't get the 440, you can't get the 256, they just don't carry it. And then the other thing too, when you go to a hobby shop, like I don't remember what size I was looking at last time we went to a hobby shop, it was two screws for like a dollar twenty-five. Right. I yeah. I'm right. I I want to load up and buy a right. hundred or two hundred at a time as opposed to that. Because right. I remember like when I bought I, I bought a whole pack of a bunch of different sizes of the uh, servo screws, mm-hmm. like the threaded ones for that. Right. And that was like I want to say, I bought oh I want to say it was about eight hundred screws or so, and it couldn't have been more than fifteen bucks. Right. I mean, yeah. you always was, get a better deal when you buy them in quantity. Right. Um. And, you know, before I go go any further, <clears throat> if you want to buy hardware in quantity, there's two places that I recommend going to. It's RTL Fasteners, which I think that, yeah, that's who I, I bought from, but I bought, came from. I bought them through eBay, eBay. but it, it was it, right. supplied by them. And yeah. then I like the website FastenerExpress.com. I believe it's Fastener-Express.com. Okay. Um, and they sell, I mean, just any kind of fastener that you can imagine, and they sell it in... in bulk type quantities, like quantities of 25 or 50 or 100. So I've also purchased through McMaster Car before. Yeah, I'm familiar. I buy a lot of uh, like tooling. Yeah. Like for, you know, when I'm a machine, I used to be a machinist also, so I would buy tooling through there. <clears throat> but I've I found that their hardware is a little on the expensive side when comparing to comparing these to other, the other types places. of places. Okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, in, in your in your stash of, of hardware, you'll want a quantity, whatever that quantity means to you. How... And the quantity is, is, in my case, determined by how easy it is to get. Like if I, you know, if I'm if I'm down to my last five, you know, four forty by three eight socket head cap screws, uh, I, you know, I know that well, it's time to get some more in here, and I can order some from Fastener Express, and I can get them in, you know, a week or whatever. So I don't really need more than thirty or forty, you know, of those mm-hmm. because I know I can get them 
relatively Fairly quickly. quickly. So <clears throat> quantity is defined by, in my opinion, how easy it is to restock it. So you're going to want some 256 and you're going to want some 440. Probably going to want fewer quantities of 632, 832, and 1032 uh, machine bolts. And I, myself, I like socket head uh, type bolts because they're a lot easier to use yeah and that's an allen wrench you know and if, if you're not familiar or a, a ball ended allen wrench like the bondus stuff and i think great plains sells a set and dubro sells a set of those wrenches as well which we'll cover in our tool episode someday mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but i like to have quantities of those handy especially the 440 and uh and the 632 because 440 you can use for i mean lots of stuff engine mounts mounting engines to the engine mounts um Larger engines, you know, I'll step it up to 632. And then the um, the associated blind nuts that go with those, 440, 632. Mm-hmm. 832, a little bit bigger. Maybe I don't need the blind nuts. I can back those up with washers to fit those, you know, to the, fit those screws. And I keep large quantities of washers because use washers for lots of stuff. Yeah. And 632 and 832, you can usually start getting those like at your hardware store. Exactly. But that, which is why you don't need maybe as many of those on yeah. hand. But they are a little bit more expensive at a hardware store than if you buy them online. Right. Yeah. So so those are the sizes I like to keep quantity quantities of on hand. And then, like I said, washers. And I, I like self-locking nuts myself um, because yeah. they don't vibrate loose. Um, but you can certainly use standard, you know, non-locking uh, hex nuts to, you know, to use as jam nuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, what I keep in quantity. And then also, like I mentioned, you know, stuff like control horns and clevises. I like plastic and, and steel clevises. You know, Sullivan makes really, really great quality hardware, and so does Dubro uh, in both plastic and steel. So I'll keep quantities of those, 256 threaded uh, clevises. I like those. And I'm, I'm talking all SAE stuff here. Now, there's metric stuff out there, too. Um, the metric stuff the, the bolts and, and nuts are, you can get those in quantities just as easily as you can the SAE stuff. But when it comes to the hardware, like clevises and threaded rods and stuff like that, it's a little bit more difficult to navigate, you know, the different sizes uh, when you want to buy those in quantities. So myself, I just stick with SAE stuff. Okay. And if the hardware that comes in an ARF or whatever is junk, then I know I can replace it all with SAE stuff and know that I can have the, the stuff I need in my shop to do that. What would make it junk? Well, so you can usually tell it's junk. Like, if, for instance, a um, let's say a push rod in an ARF. If you can take it and bend it with two fingers, that's junk. I mean, you don't want that in your airplane because it's going to flex. It's going to vibrate. It's going to, you know, it's it's not going to perform as as well as something that's nice and solid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be tempered steel or anything like that. But, yeah, that, I mean, that makes junk. And then also... I've seen this in ARFs too. I've seen clevises that won't snap together. Yeah, I and, have seen and that they, too, actually. And they expect you to depend on that piece of fuel tubing wrapped around it to hold that clevis closed. Yeah. I don't like that. No. I want my clevis to snap closed and then use the tubing as kind of a backup, not as the primary source to keep that thing on the control horn. Yeah. So that to me is junk hardware. Okay. And then I'll replace that with my quality stuff that I got from Dubro or Great Plains or or Sullivan, what okay. have you. So control horns, and then another item that, that I seem to frequently be looking for in my shop is <laughs> wheel collars. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, 
I use wheel collars. I've, I've used them for lots of different things, obviously to hold wheels on an axle, but also, um, for instance, you know, like if you're using, if you're, if you got a tricycle airplane with a nose gear, you know, that nose gear is held in the bearing by wheel collars. Yeah. You know what I mean? So various different sizes of wheel collars. I keep 16th inch, 532, 8th inch, and I keep 316ths. I try to keep those on hand. Okay. So because you never know when you're going to need a wheel collar for yeah. something. Um, and they also make, like if you have a needle valve on an engine that's maybe got a hole in the end of the needle valve with a set screw, really easy to stick a piece of 16th inch wire in there and then put a wheel collar on the end of it. Now you got a handy little handle to turn the needle that you can get outside the cowl. If that. I'm not following. Sorry. So like on a lot of OS engines, I think Sato 2, the end of the high speed needle valve is drilled. You know, there's a hole. Okay. And then there's a set screw. And then you can stick a piece of rod in there and get oh. that thing to sit outside the cowl, and then you can put a little wheel collar on it to give you a handy little handle to turn it with. I gotcha. Another use for a wheel collar. Yeah. So, okay. you know. And this kind of goes with radios, but I like to keep a lot of servo horns in my in my uh, parts supply also. Yeah, and so, me personally, I like the Dubro heavy-duty ones. So how many different sizes are there of servo horns? Like, Lots. I mean, the actual part that, that mounts to the servo. Yeah, the splined part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots. Okay. So, so um, yeah, and Dubro does a really good job. And I think um, there's another company, I'll, it just escaped me, but um, a Google search will find it. Dubro does a pretty good job of producing servo horns that fit most, I'm going to say all, with the caveat here in a second brands of servo splines like Futaba, Airtronics, and JR used to be like the three main ones. Mm-hmm. And then now these other companies like FMS and FR Sky and Tower Pro and all these other kind of manufacturers, Hobby King, you know, has their, and, and I think they're sold under five or six different names. So these are copies of branded servos, right? So Dubro does a pretty good job of, of, catching the three big ones, which will also fit by trial and error, usually um, an off-branded one. So I keep the Dubro heavy-duty ones, and then I keep a stash of their micro servo horns also for the small servos. Because there's two, so there's basically two output shaft sizes. Like diameters, with different, you mean? Yeah, with different spline counts. Yeah, because that's so what I came across. So there's the micro size, and then there's like the standard size. Well, th- so what I came across is I was trying to put some uh, servos in the, the wings of this Cavalier, mm-hmm. and I have some really nice servo horns that are big enough to do what I want them to do, but the actual... Uh, the, so the output shaft. The output shaft. Of the is, servo, right. Is, yeah, is, is too big to fit inside of that servo horn, so... And it's weird to me, though, because the servo horns are huge. I mean, like yeah. it would have come off like a bigger type right. of airplane or bigger you can, something. You can, you'd can you be surprised at how big a servo horn you can get in the micro output shaft size, whatever Well, that's not that micro is. size, though. It's it's the full, I mean, like it's a, a regular size servo. Right, but the servo horn is too small to fit over the output shaft. Right. So it's a micro-sized horn, but it's big is what you're saying. Well, I guess I don't know the difference in the micro size because I, I assume you were talking well, about like the micro there's... size that would work on like the five gram servos. Yes. It's bigger than that. Oh, so it's in between. Yeah. Okay. So maybe there's three different sizes of output. I thought there was like the micro size, like for the nine gram servos and servos like that. And then there was like the standard 
diameter-ish size of the other types of servos. But maybe there maybe there is one in between. Is it possible? Are you sure it's not the the uh, spline count is just not letting it fit over the servo? Yeah, you're sure of that? Yeah, I can get it right now and show you if you want. No, you don't. I believe you. But maybe there's maybe there's more than just the couple that I was thinking there were. Well, are there different splines depending on what kind of servo you're using? As in, like servos for RC cars, are those different than the airplane ones or the servos themselves? Yeah. So servos that are designed to be used with RC cars have uh, componentry in them that is, um, for lack of a better word, shockproof, a little more. Uh, impervious to vibration and shock, especially on a steering servo. Even though we use servo saver, or even though we used to use servo savers (laughs) on Uh the servos, or some sort of a servo saver mechanism in the steering of the vehicle, um, they still take a pretty severe amount of shock. Because, you know, you're driving along and you hit a rock or whatever, and that's still a shock to the gear train and the electronics of the servo. So they're designed to handle that. Would they be different sizes? No. Like on the output shaft? No. Nope. Okay. Well, nope. then I don't know. Yeah. Because I can take, you could take a, a Kimbro servo saver that's designed to work with a Futaba steering servo in your car, and it'll fit a standard Futaba airplane servo. The, okay. The shaft diameter and spline count are the same. Okay. On Futaba, on JR, on so on and so forth. So Futaba, at least across the Futaba and Spectrum, which is JR, um, Across the brand, they standardize it, but they don't standardize it across the hobby, unfortunately. Some more standardization that would be nice, but we're not going to get. Yeah. Which is is, okay, I guess. It is what it is. I mean, everybody has their favorite, right? Ford, Chevy, Dodge, whatever. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I follow you on that one. So anyway, I like to keep a stash of servo horns uh, to fit my uh, quantity of servos also (laughs) that I like to keep on hand. Um, Mostly, I like... uh, well, it doesn't matter what I like. It's, it's have some servo horns to fit your servos. Uh, and like I said, I like the heavy-duty Dubro ones. Um, they are really well-made. They're, they're glass-reinforced plastic oh, okay. or reinforced glass fiber. Like FRP or something? Right. Yeah. Um, so they're really, really durable. And because of what they're made of, you can actually tap the hole and put like a threaded ball in there, like a Dubro ball link. Mm-hmm. And then back it up with a nut, and it's really, really secure. That's what I like about those. Oh, that is uh, handy. Yeah. So, and then uh, you know things like um, Dubro makes a and Great Plains. Most of the hardware manufacturers make a item called an Easy Connector or a Quick Connector, which is basically, you know, what I'm talking about. It snaps into the hole on the servo arm and has a nut that gets pushed on the backside of it, and then you has a set screw and you run a rod in there and run the set screw down. Yeah. I'm not a fan of those. I don't like them myself, but if you are into those, you might want to keep a quantity of those as well to assist your servo hookups. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said earlier, 256 threaded rod and 440 threaded rod to actually terminate the end of your push rods where you're going to thread on your clevis. Yeah, last time we went to the hobby shop, we got a, a heck of a deal on a bunch of those, I think. They had uh, yeah. five packs of, I think it was 10-inch rod yep. with the clevis with for a clevis dollar. For a dollar, yeah. So Carl we, Goldberg. These are, you yeah. Know, been been out of production for a while, but I mean, the stuff doesn't go bad. So. Yeah, they're still quality stuff. Yeah, for so a we, dollar per bag, we bought every bag they had, <laughs> everything they had. So <laughs> we're set for quite a while on those. Yeah. Although I've already gone through a couple of them. So. 
Yeah, and I will last. too on this thing that I'm putting together now. I'll I'll use some of mine as well. So yeah, they won't uh, they won't last as long as you expect, I guess. But we did buy a bunch. Yeah, and the nice thing about those is if you don't use the threaded end, or if you use the threaded end and you have a quantity of the rod steel rod left, you know it's very easy to put a Z bend in one end of that and then use an easy connector on the other, and there you got it. You've gotten two push rods out of one yeah. purchase. You know Especially I mean? if you're doing like a small, uh, like foamy, profile foamy or something like right. that to where you don't have to worry about right. a really strong connection or anything yeah. that's too And important. if I could make a recommendation, if, if you will allow it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If, if you use easy connectors or the or these, you know, these types <laughs> of set screw connectors, do yeah. me a favor. Do us all a favor and use, when you use them, use a clevis on the other end. So that you can, on the end where the easy connector, you know, the, the wire goes through the easy connector and then the set screw clamps down on the wire, mm-hmm. file a flat spot on that wire where the set screw bears down and then do your adjusting on the clevis end. That is a much, I feel much better about that connection than just running the wire in there and running the set screw down and calling it good. That flat spot adds a little extra measure of security well, so what I have done before, and I actually ended up changing them all out because it didn't work right. I've over tightened those the the ball or the yeah. uh, the, the easy connector, yeah. and it's easy so to do. It is because they're only it, made of brass usually. Well, but then it, it bent the the uh, the control horn or not the control horn, the but the the rod. And so then when I needed to adjust it because I just had a Z bend on the other side, you couldn't adjust it. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was yeah. not, you know, you could take okay. that screw completely out and it was it right. was deformed so much that you couldn't get that well, to move. So even even if you have a Z bend on the other end making the other end not adjustable, if you file a long flat spot at least, that gives that set screw much more area to grab onto, more purchase to hold that connection secure than just running it down on a round Rod. Yeah, you know what I'm. You know yeah, what I, mean? I understand. Makes sense. I mean, I know the end of those set screws are. It's not just a normal type set screw. It really, it does have something that kind of eats into it. Some of them are knurled on the end. Uh huh. But like the Great Plains ones, those are just 440 bolts. Just oh really? Plain old. Yeah, they're really short. They're, I think they're eighth inch. Yeah. But they're just yeah, they're not knurled or anything. They oh, just okay. they just go down and clamp on it and. And you hope it's Cross good your enough. Fingers. Yeah. Just do me a favor and file a flat spot on the rod where that set screw goes down. It'll make me very happy. Well, I, <laughs> you you pretty much told me you don't like set screws, so I think I've I've switched over yeah. uh, to doing the the Z bend on the end that goes into the control right. horn. Now I will uh, say, on the servo. That so. that's how I like to yeah. do it. So and it's easy enough to do it right. that way because then that still gives you that adjustment, you know, with the yes. threaded rod on the end with the right. clevis. Now I, I will say that I've I've to to my recollection, I have only ever seen one of those fail once. Which one? The the easy connector. Really? And when I say fail, I mean the rod slide in the and change its position. Yeah. Even though the set screw was tight, I've only seen that fail once. But that was enough for me. Yeah. Well, and I I've done a lot of them with those. And once again, especially on smaller planes where it's not right. using a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like our little foamies, the sandpiper, yeah, fine. It's yeah. You can get enough clamping pressure on that. It's not going to go anywhere. And we're not putting that much flight load on those. Well, I don't know. Or are we? <laughs> I don't know. Not nearly as much as on a bigger plane. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand. You so, know, I, I wouldn't use it on something to where I'm I'm really concerned about how much pressure is on it. Right. So 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 that's what I like to keep in my uh, in my shop. Uh, on hand so yeah. that I don't run out of. Um, 
And if I think of anything else, I'll I'll update it on the next episode. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I'll have to get online and, and do some research and, and get an order together so I have a bunch of stuff here. I can help you spend the, your money. <laughs> it's always yeah, easy can, to spend somebody else's money, you, right? I can give you a very nice list of stuff you should have. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do that. That way I do have stuff on hand. And, and if you're listening, do me a favor. Don't buy flathead hardware. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so that's a dig at me. Um, <laughs> that's the, not a dig. Well, the only okay, reason I used that flathead that's hardware had, is because it. that's what I had. Um, yeah, I didn't have it. And it any, worked, Well, right? it, it did, it but oh, my, from listening to you <laughs> whine and complain about it, you would have thought the world was ending. I mean, there was, you didn't have a dry eye. I may have complained a little. A lot. But, um, but yeah, it did its job. Actually, it, yeah. it's still doing its, it's job. Yeah, I think that's the what we're still using. The engine is still on the airplane. It. We're talking about the Telemaster mounting the fourth engine on the Telemaster, <laughs> which we have yet to run. We will. We will. Um, but yeah, so I, I just had- You will eventually. One of these days. Um, but yeah, the only thing I had was the, the slotted uh, screws, the old style. And I think they were, honestly, they, those have got to be probably 30 or 40 years old because- They're very shiny. Well, they came from, I think those are ones that came from a whole bunch of uh, stuff my grandpa had before he died. Okay. Uh, and he died in 1992. So, 91 or 92. I think it was 92. So, yeah, that's where those came from. But they work, so I, I shouldn't complain, but boy, do I but will despise ya. flathead hardware. Well, I'll I'll be honest. Like with the uh, the socket head screws that I bought for the uh, the servo screws, yeah, it's so much easier. Aren't those nice? They, they really are. Yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about it slipping out of the the yeah. screw head. You don't have to worry about and any the of that. Beauty of those is you can use either a two millimeter wrench or you can use a five sixty four wrench. Oh, I didn't know. Either that. or. Yeah. I just the, have the, the two millimeter, millimeter fit, fits them really really nice. Awesome. Which I like. Yeah. So yeah, well good. So I'll so, I'll I'll get my list together and get something ordered. Right on. So yeah, that's that pretty much covers I think uh, what I what I keep in my sash. And if I like I said if I think of anything else, I'll I'll update it on the next episode. Okay. So the only other thing I think you wanted to cover. Yeah. Um it's due. And I I don't know if there's a a reason behind this or something happened, but field etiquette. Yeah. So it's so we've we've been talking about flying and getting you know newcomers into the hobby and and uh, and things like that, and we haven't really talked at all about what to do at the club field. You know, if you're going to join a club and then you're going to hopefully fly at a club field. Okay, I understand where you're going now. I thought it was more like something happened at the field that I wasn't aware of, and no, no, you no. were going to complain about. No, no, somebody. no. I'm not. I'm okay. not going to complain at all. Okay, I'm just going to you know go over some stuff that you know as a newcomer to the hobby might want to know sure before they get to the field some do's and don'ts of you know yeah. of, of flying at the club field that makes that sense makes sense yeah what do you got um, well so i mean there's some general rules that that whatever club you join are going to have um rules like you know don't fly over the pit and yeah. that's you know you don't want to do that because number one you don't want to fly and we've not touched on this either really um flying directly over your head is not a good idea for lots of reasons. Um, but it's the, disorienting, But the too, most though. of which is exactly, it's disorienting. It's it's hard to tell when the airplane is directly overhead. 
what attitude it's in. Is it going up? Is it going down? And it's very easy to lose actually, even though you have full control of it before you get to that point, it's very easy to lose control and get disoriented due to vertigo. That and is, it hurts your neck. And it, while well, you're staring directly up into the sky, which can be kind of bright sometimes, you know, yeah. there's a big shiny orange thing up there. Uh, so it's not a good idea to fly over your head. And usually where you're flying, you're going to be standing in the pit or a flight line. So don't fly over your head. That's one thing that uh, that every club pretty much has in their bylaws or other, other rules of the field is you don't want to fly over the pit. You don't want to put yourself in danger and you don't want to put other flyers and spectators potentially in danger. Good to know also if you're not just flying at a field, but you're flying at your house or well, something right. like that too. It, it's, exactly. it's good to realize, yeah. you know, yeah. that's keep not it, a good idea to do. Keep it out in front of you a good distance. Yeah. Um, it, it helps your, your situational awareness. It helps you get a, a better view of what the airplane is doing and it, and it keeps you, it's easier to control the airplane if you can see the attitude of, of the airplane. Absolutely. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, also, um, you know, every club is going to have, like I said, their, their, their own rules. Most clubs have a, have a set pattern, if you will. Yeah. Um, so depending on maybe like for instance, our club, you know, you're either going to fly a left hand or a right hand pattern, which depending means on the wing, depending or the wind. on the wind. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so our runway is kind of oriented more or less east, west and prevailing winds here are from the west, generally speaking. So, you know, it works out pretty nice. We're usually flying a, a right-hand pattern, but not always. You know, sometimes the wind is crossways, whatever, and you, um, the, the club will usually have a default. Like if there's absolutely no wind, they'll have a default pattern they want you to fly. That way, everybody who's there is flying the same pattern. You don't have two planes coming head-on down the runway yeah. to land or take off or what have you. So pay attention to that. Like our our field, I believe our default is right hand. I think um, because that's the prevailing wind from the west, and that makes for a right hand pattern if you're flying into the wind. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to sort of keep an eye on. Um, and then some general stuff that I I like to have people kind of be aware of when they're at the field. Um, and this is kind of it's not annoying to me, but it, it makes me cringe when I see people do this. And I know they're doing it out of a good place, you know, that they want to be helpful, which uh-huh. is great. I, you know, I, we always need some sort of assistance, especially if we're flying the big airplanes. But don't, don't go up to a, an airplane that's either running or somebody's working on the ground and just grab it. Like, say something like, hey, would you, would, would you, you like, like some me to help? Hold it or or can I hold this for you or whatever? Because not everybody knows the, you know, where the fragile areas are on every single airplane. Like yeah. I couldn't tell you where the fragile area is on your yak, for example. I have mm-hmm. a good idea of where they're at, but it's very easy, especially on on larger airplanes. The turtle deck area, you know, that area behind the canopy that sort of tapers down into the tail, that is, believe it or not, that is a very fragile area on most of these big airplanes because most of them are are sheeted foam. That's what make, gives it that shape. And if not, they're just little stringers too. Or just not little stringers that are not very, right. yeah, they're, they're just balsa, right? And we mm-hmm. all know balsa is very light and, you know, breaks and snaps easy. So before you go grabbing somebody's airplane, I know it's probably out of a good place. You're just trying to help. And we appreciate that as, as experienced pilots. We Sometimes we need, you know, a few extra hands. Um, but just, you know, say, hey, listen, can you, can you use a hand or can I help you or whatever? And if the, he doesn't want you to, he'll let you know or she 
they'll let you know whether they want your help or not. Yeah. Um, or maybe even better, they'll say, yeah, yeah, just grab it here or what have you. Then, then you'll learn something and you'll be giving them a hand and everybody's happy. Yeah. So it happened to me once when I had the, the big yak out of the field, I had somebody kind of doing the same thing. They wanted to hold it down for me when I ran it up after right. I started it. And I explained to him that it has a lot of pull, you know, be careful. And they're <laughs> like, does. I've been around big airplanes, you know, I, I know, I know how to do it and stuff. And she was very, very nice about it. But yeah, sure enough, as soon, you know, she, she straddled it mm-hmm. and had one, you know, the one foot on one side, one right. foot on the other side, and then had the, front of the, uh, the tail, yep. uh, you know, yeah, pushing into the back of her. That's how you hold some of the big ones. And I asked her, are you ready? She said, yeah, I went up to full throttle. Knocked her down. Luckily, she fell off to the left of the plane. But, you know, if you don't know the person, right. um, especially if it's a bigger plane like that, yeah. don't over-exaggerate what you know how to do. Um, right. right. And, you know, from that point on, it's kind of like, okay, I'll have a friend do it just because I trust them. Right. And I, you know, I, I would never go up to somebody that I'm not decently acquainted with and ask them, would you like me to hold that? Would you like right. me to do that? Like, even when we're out there, I'm not comfortable grabbing somebody else's plane to take it off of the table and set it on the ground. Right. Even if I'm good friends with them. Right. Because of what you're saying. You could put it in the wrong spot if, you, yeah. if you're if you not You grab exactly... it in just the wrong spot and you poke a hole in their monocote or you, you crush some of the sheeting underneath the monocote, then you would feel bad that you've damaged somebody's airplane, number one, and that person is probably going to be not too happy upset. with you. Or if you pull it out and you misjudge and you, you know, you smack the propeller because you can't always see propellers when they run. You don't know how big they are on somebody else's airplane. You don't want to smack it on the side of the table or something like that when it's running. So Or stick your hand in it. Well, that would be worse. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and I mentioned this because just recently uh, a friend at the field uh, was running one of his larger airplanes and one of the other club members just went down there to help him out, didn't. Didn't ask. He didn't do anything. He was, but like I said, he was coming from a good place. He was trying to help. Uh-huh. But yeah, he grabbed the total deck, and sure enough, where he grabbed it, it you know, made a little indentation in the in the sheeting, and now I'm probably going to get to be the one to, to, <laughs> to fix, fix it. it, which is okay. I don't mind. Well, but, it's it's okay yeah. that it can be fixed, but it's sure. not okay because that's you know one of the things. If if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't pretend like you do. Right. So exactly. just, you're best off yep. staying away, in my opinion. Yep. I I don't know. Yeah. So that's I, that's all I really wanted to say about that. Just if if you want to help somebody, that's awesome. Just ask first. And usually if they if they appreciate your help, they'll they'll guide you, especially if you're new. Hey, grab it here. You know, don't grab it here or whatever. And and don't get mad if they say no. Right. Sometimes I'm yeah. I sometimes I can be that way. Sometimes I get very into what I'm doing and I'm focused and I want to handle it. Sometimes I don't want any help, you know. And sometimes and don't take that, it personally. And sometimes you're that way with me, even. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, all right, well, yeah. he's and you don't take it personally. No, you, I don't. You go about your business, and yeah. you know, we move on. But um, yeah, so just that's all I really want to say. Just just ask them if you can help, and if they want your help, they'll say, sure, here, grab it here. Uh, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, so when you're running your airplane up on the so at our field we have tables right mm-hmm. uh, that have the stops on them that we can put the airplane up on and and for do, smaller planes yeah mm-hmm. right yeah we can't obviously put the big planes on there but um, when you're running your airplane up right and and I'm guilty of this too I do it all the time without even thinking but you know you got your airplane on the table so it's elevated and at our field we have benches behind the tables for spectators and other pilots to sit and heckle us and whatever <laughs> Uh, which they do a lot of. A lot of. Um, which is part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're running your airplane up, 
and especially with the with the nitros that I love so much, sometimes I'm not really mindful of where that exhaust is going, right? So, you know, the airplane's still on the table and I run it up to full throttle and I'm making my needle adjustments and, you know, I look back and luckily it was my own car, but, you know, I still had the lift gate open on the car and all that exhaust is going right into the back of my car. So just be mindful of where the exhaust is going. If it looks like maybe you're going to smoke somebody out with your, with your nitro two-stroke, um, just maybe either give them a heads up, hey, I'm going to run this up so they can either move and not get a face full of oil, or maybe, you, you know, you can move to another table or put it on the ground or whatever. Okay, I see where you're going with that one. Um, but I kind of come at that a different way. You go out to the field, you know what kind of things, I mean, what's the reason you go to a field first off? People are going to fly airplanes. Well, some people go to the field to watch people fly airplanes. Right. But still, if you go to watch somebody fly an airplane, you know what you're going for. Unless you're a spectator that is, is maybe getting into the hobby for the first time. Okay. Sure. But, okay, I guess I do see that. But if you're a spectator, you're not... I mean, not, that's what I'm getting at. You're not going to I mean, I see have your hatch to. open, you know, parked right behind an airplane to where you're going to get stuff inside yeah. of it. And Unless you're me. Which I did. Well, but you're not new to the hobby. No. You know what I'm saying. No, you're not, I just simply just... forgot to close the hatch on my car. Okay. I mean, it, it affects everybody. It does. So I'm just saying be uh, mindful of where it's at. And if it looks like it's going to maybe uh, smoke somebody's car out and you maybe maybe it's a nice, you know, really nice GMC Envoy or whatever SUV. Well, why or whatever. would you pick that one? Well, because that's a nice vehicle, isn't it? GMC Envoys? I don't know. Those are nice. I don't like, know either. But I'm, I mean, I'm coming from a place. I I drive a 2009 SUV. That's a nice vehicle to me. Well, but I don't know <laughs> out of everywhere why that's what you would pull out to bring up. I don't know anybody that has one of those. I don't think you do either. Oh well, yeah, I know a couple oh, of people you? that have them. Yeah, oh okay, they're, they're not cheap. Well, okay, that's anyway weird choice. Maybe okay. a nice vehicle that you don't want to oil it up with your nitro exhaust. So just be mindful of where your exhaust is going. That's all I'm saying. Let's come from the other side then. If you're going to a field and you're not sure what to expect, be mindful where you park. Okay. And be Fair mindful enough. where you stand. Because, like I said, I, I come at it from, I know what goes on at the field. That's on my list. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, then, then I, no, no I'll you're stop. covering it. Good. I'll stop. Go you, on. You've got it. You've got it. You've got it. No, you have the list. I don't. <laughs> so I don't want to uh, steal your thunder. So Here's another pet peeve of mine, <clears throat> and I don't mind loaning my tools. I really don't, especially when I'm at the field if somebody needs a, a screwdriver or a wrench or whatever. If I've got it and you don't, then more power to you. Please don't make me come and get my tool back from you. <laughs> if you borrow yeah. something from somebody, do them the favor. I mean, they, you know, they did, you know, out of the kindness of their heart, they let you borrow their tool the least you can do is take that tool back to them. Don't make them come to you to get their tool back. Yeah. That's really annoying to me. And I've lost tools over the years that way. Yeah. Um, and that's really annoying. So replace what you borrow. Don't make them come and get it from you. Here's another one. Hey, can I borrow your knife starter? Hey, can I borrow your glow igniter? Hey, can I borrow, you know, your thing that you put on the glow plug to make this thing go? Um, sure. I don't mind. But if you have one in your box and you're not using it because it's dead, that's on you. Yeah. That's not my fault. You know, I don't mind you using my glow starter, but you're not going to use my glow starter all day because you forgot to charge yours. That should be part of your 
pre-flight or pre-going to the field checklist, Mm -hmm. charging all your batteries. That includes your glow igniter. So do everyone else at the field a favor and please charge your glow igniter when you're charging your radio or your other batteries or what have you. Because that can get, I mean, because, you know, we have a limited lifespan of these things, right? They're only good for so many starts. Yeah. And if I'm going to, if I'm planning on spending all day at the field, yeah, I bring extra nice starters with me, but not everybody does. Um, what, are you, what are you calling them? Nice starters? Nice nitro starters, nice starters. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were, ne- they were, that's how they were sold by McDaniel back in the day. They were called nigh starters. I've never heard of that starters. before. Yeah. So, okay. Glow plug igniter. That's what we're talking about here. That's what I know it as. Right. So do everybody a favor, charge your glow plug igniter the night before, please. Um, I want to be out there. I want to have a good time. Everybody wants to have a good time. I don't want to not be able to start my airplane because, you know, the schmuck at the end of the flight line there didn't charge his glow plug igniter and has been using mine all day, and now I can't start my airplanes. So what else do you have on your Tom Dale cranky list? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> um, this one's kind of a kind of a touchy subject. Oh, um, boy. I, I don't really have a, a, a feeling on this one way or the other. Okay. Um, but dogs at the field. I oh. love dogs, right? Yeah. I really do. And you can tell whenever I come over here, I'm always, you know, hi, You're Zoe, you know, petting our dog and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I love dogs. And for a long time, I, I can actually, never do that at your house, by the way. Your dog uh, would eat me. Well, my dog's kind of a butthole. Um, <laughs> well, the big one is anyway. Yeah. Um, like I could take the little one out to the field and she'd be just fine. Yeah. But I would have her on a leash. Right. Um, and like I said, there are, I, I even have friends who have dogs that are extremely well behaved, mm-hmm. um, that would never run after an airplane or chase a little kid as he's running up and down the, you know, the behind the flight line or the pits or whatever. But, um, and I think most clubs have this rule in their bylaw, but your dogs really ought to be on a leash. Don't let them, I mean, even if your dog, like our little dog, would never run off because they're too old, too fat, too lazy, too whatever, or just too <laughs> uh-huh. well-mannered. Sure. Um, there's always that chance. You never know what's going to set a dog off, right? So um, having a dog on a leash is is usually a rule, um, especially on, on busier weekends. Like, a, you know, if you're, if, if you're expecting a big turnout at the field and you're going to take your dog, probably ought to have, you know, have the dog on a leash. Um, what about kids? Should you put your kids on a leash too <laughs> if you take them out? Well, that's so okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I have not seen that's your list. Like the perfect segue. Okay. Um, so kids at the field. Sure. Right? Um, no, obviously we don't want you to have your kids on a leash. We want we want kids. Me as an older guy at the field, I want kids to get excited about the hobby because I want the hobby to continue. Yeah. Right. I want mm-hmm. I want cool new airplanes every year. I want cool new radio equipment every year. I want cool new this cool, and the way to do that is to get the younger generations excited about the hobby, and hopefully, eventually, they'll be lawmakers and they can help us defend our hobby and keep it. You know, yeah. what it is right now. Or just be um, hobbyists and keep the uh, keep the demand up. Exactly. Right. Um, so yes, I want I want kids at the field, especially especially kids who've never seen model airplanes before. because um, they do. And like you can see it, they get really, really excited. Like I remember when I got excited mm-hmm. when I first saw, you know, an RC airplane. Um, but as a parent of those children, um, there are some things that, you know, that that we as club members can inform the parents of, like let them know, 
the ins and outs of, you know, hey, this is the flight line. We don't want spectators beyond this. So um, we want, you know, little Kevin here. We want him to be excited about it, but please, you know, keep him back for his safety. Um, and really that's what it's about. It's about club liability. You know, the club wants to continue being a club. Yeah. They don't want to have to stop being a club because they had to settle a lawsuit because little Kevin ran out and got his thumb cut off by a 50cc, you know, SBOC or whatever. So as, as club members and as a new club member, um, it's, it's up to us to let new people and spectators know what the rules are and where the safe zones are and what, you know, what we kind of expect of them. Everybody can have a good time. We have, like every field I've ever been to has an area, if you will, that is kind of a safe area that should be safe from, you know, the hazards of, of flying model airplanes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and for us, it's, it's anything behind the pit. And that's how it is, I think, probably for most club fields. Yeah. So as a club member, as a, as a new, you know, RC flyer, it's up to us to educate spectators and their children, um, when they're when they're there, so that was a good segue. Uh, but nice. no, we don't want we don't want them to put their kids on leashes. Uh, <laughs> that's not good for anybody. Um, so yeah, spectators are welcome. Um, but like I said, they don't know the rules, so it's up to us, you know, to to inform them. Um, and, and then and hands off the airplanes. And right, yeah. yeah. Obviously, we don't want spectators grabbing our airplanes. Yeah, because uh, they don't know where to grab them safely, and or also, how fragile they really are. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that, that, um, that experience is learned firsthand and you don't want them to learn that on your airplane. Right. So, yeah. Yes. I've learned that on mine before. Oh, I have too. They're very uh, weak in certain places. Yeah. So, so it's a family, it's a family friendly hobby. That's what I have always gone with. I, you know, I've always tried to encourage my kids to take it up, which they never have, but Mm -hmm. I've always tried to, um, because it, it, to me, it's a, it's a quality time with family that it can be. So because of that, maybe we want to try to watch our language. Um, which know your is, audience. Which is exactly, I mean, that is, is... that is word for word <laughs> what I have written down right here. And I you have probably, not seen that You probably yet. can't I, read it from I, there, but know your terrible, audience. terrible, terrible handwriting. It, yeah, it is. And I admit it. Yeah. But um, no, I, I don't know that. So yeah. But and, know your audience. That is, that is, that's perfect because... We don't want anyone to be turned off of the hobby because of something they heard us say with our filthy mouths. And I'm guilty. Like I'm terribly guilty. I have a, I have a sailor's mouth, and I, and well, listeners, and I can too. For everybody who's listening, um, it's a real challenge for me sometimes <laughs> when we're talking not to throw out certain colorful phrases. Yeah, um, I've but caught myself the, trying to do that also. Right. Um, We'll have to figure out a bleep button or something like that so that we can simulate. Maybe that'll yeah. make me feel better. But there anyway, um, when you're at the field as a club member and you're flying, and especially if there's potentially newcomers to the hobby, uh, you know, in the in the making, curb the you know try to maybe curb the 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 sailor talk. Yeah, I'm always amazed though at the difference like the vibe you get at the field based on who's out there. Right. So if there's a lot of people out there that you're not really friends with, you know, you're, you're comfortable around them and stuff. It's a lot more subdued. Yes. Then, uh, usually when they leave and it's just us and left, it's just us. It gets, oh, yeah. it gets to be a lot more fun. Oh, yeah. Right. I think. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still having fun when there's lots of people there and I'm, and I'm minding my manners, so right. to speak. But yeah, it's certainly, I, I don't want anyone to be discouraged from going to the field because they feel like they're encroaching on our fun. 
no, and you're right. That's not how I meant it. I, I hope it didn't come out that way. Um, but well, it's just like a, a group of friends when they get together. Obviously, you're gonna uh, have more or a different type of fun when it's just your, uh, you know, your close knit group, right? Than if it was a whole bunch of people you're at a, a, a party with, or exactly, or or something right. like that. So, so yeah, know your audience. That's a that that like I said, that's exactly what I have written here. Um, <laughs> and if and if there, you know, there's a family present. You know, curb the curb the language at least until you know until the be courteous exactly be kind right, right. and I, and that applies in in my opinion that applies to life yeah you know I think but that's a whole other life lessons uh, with Tom and that uh, that concludes my my field etiquette list can you think of anything else <laughs> that concludes your list of uh, <laughs> things you don't like so well it's not just things I don't like it's things I think new potentially new club members, new, new people to flying would want to know. You know, maybe they didn't think of, you know, that they're the ambassadors of the hobby now. They, you know, they're kind of like the the presenting face of the hobby. We don't want to turn people away. With you the, put a lot of stress on us. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. I just want to fly an airplane. Right. Got it. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> and that 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 is very true. Um just be courteous, be kind, be, right. uh, you know, think about other people. Right. You know, don't don't just think you're going out there by yourself to, right. to fly I mean, and you're the only one there. Obviously, we're going out there to enjoy ourselves, mm-hmm. obviously. But a little courtesy goes a long way, and especially when, you know, when maybe some potential newcomers to the hobby are present. Just uh, other thing. And it's kind of annoying sometimes. I don't necessarily like to fly when there's a lot of other people up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, Depends on the people. Right. It, it <laughs> does. That's kind of what I was alluding to. Right. Um, kind of with the know your audience thing. Yeah. You know who's flying. There's going to be some that you trust. There's going to be some that you don't trust. Right. Um, and when somebody that you're not sure of is up flying, I just wait until they're done. Yeah, just wait it out. Watch yeah. them fly. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe internally you can maybe learn from you know stuff that you see them doing well or maybe not doing well you, you know there's always there's always something to do at the field if you're not flying yeah so that five to ten minutes that you wait you know it's really not that big a deal no not at so, all so if it's like you said if it's somebody that uh, you've never seen fly before maybe or uh, maybe you've seen a pattern with their flying that makes you uncomfortable just wait it out yeah and then uh, and then fly your you know fly on your time yeah I would agree with that. Myself, I I will fly almost with anybody. The problem but, I have though sometimes is is it's not so much the flying, it's them landing while I'm flying. That's the part sometimes with certain uh, with certain characters at the field that I get nervous <laughs> about. Why? Because you think they might hit you. Well, you know, I've seen a few planes, you know, make it into the pits over the years. Come a little close. It does. Yeah, it does. Un- it is a little unnerving, especially if you're if you're flying an airplane for like the first time. Um, yeah, that's that's another point that I could probably make. If somebody's maidening an airplane, do them the courtesy of just waiting. You know, let them have let them because you never know what's. You know, yeah, probably, I don't know what the percentage is. A high percentage of the time, nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be just fine. Depends on who it is. Right. But you never know. I mean, anything can happen on a maiden. You know, maybe they're going to take off with their ailerons reversed, you know. and wouldn't <laughs> Who it be, does that? And wouldn't it be nice if they had all the airspace they needed to try to get it back, you know, as opposed to. 
didn't have to worry about somebody else on the field, didn't have to worry right. about any of that right. stuff. So, yeah, I understand. And usually, usually that pilot who's maidening an airplane is, is probably going to maiden that airplane some other not busy time at the field. But if they've yeah. chosen to come out the field on a Saturday morning and maiden an airplane, do them a favor and just wait until they're done. Well, especially if, you get to the, if it gets to the point where it's just two or three of you and they're going to maiden something. Yeah, it's it's so much easier not to yeah. not to go up. And you never know. They may ask for your help on the sticks. Like, you know, Maybe their hands are going to be so full just trying to fly the thing. Maybe they need somebody to help them, you know, add yeah. some trim, you know, or whatever. So, Well, and the other thing, too, that it's difficult for me to fly with other people because... Obviously, when you're flying, you watch your airplane, and I like to see what's going on. I mean, I like watching other people fly airplanes. Sure, I do so too. it's it's almost as fun for me to go out and just watch, yeah, than it is to actually right. fly anything. And and a lot of times, I'll I'll be watching, <clears throat> and another pilot will do something cool with his airplane. I'll be like, man, that looked cool. I'm going to try to replicate that whenever I go fly. You know what I mean? <laughs> and sometimes you ask him, "How'd you do that?" I don't even know what I did. I don't even know. <laughs> That happens to me a lot. Yeah. Hey, that was cool. What'd you do? I don't know. I was just moving the sticks around. <laughs> yeah, it was just going on its own. Beats me. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Yep. So, so that's that that pretty much concludes my list. I Okay. Um Yeah, just just know your audience is the is is a is a key takeaway from that and a little bit of courtesy goes a long way. And have fun with it. Oh yeah, definitely I mean, have that's, fun. That's like number one. That's the most important thing. Yeah. It is a, a fun hobby. Um, there's a lot of people that you're going to meet that are going to be characters. There's a lot of people you're going to meet that you're going to become friends with. And that's the the best part of it. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, with that, I think I am finished. That's, that's all I got. Okay. That's all I wanted to cover. Well, until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. Good night. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.